This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 23, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The challenge to Obamacare will heat up in 2011, and the issue may soon be before the U.S. Supreme Court. What will that challenge look like, and how will it shape the High Court's decision? Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute. He comments. Well, last week, the Virginia judge uh, found the individual mandate portion of Obamacare unconstitutional. Two judges previous to that, one in a different part of Virginia and uh, one in Michigan, granted the government's motion to dismiss, essentially saying that the lawsuits uh, uh, were, if not frivolous, at least didn't have much merit. Uh, and uh, coming probably next month or the month after that, we'll have a decision in the Florida case. That's 20 states, uh, soon to be 27 states, challenging the individual mandate as well as other provisions. Look, when you when you do the law, you don't count up how many judges are on one side or the other. I mean, you do when you're counting Supreme Court justices. But uh, all of these lower court opinions, these are just the initial skirmishes uh, in the uh, long-term legal battle. We're, all of these are now going to go up on appeal. Uh, we're filing a brief this week in the Sixth Circuit appealing the, the Michigan case, uh, and we'll have involvement in other places. This is all just uh, setting the ground for uh, an eventual Supreme Court involvement, which I expect to be probably in the spring of 2012 with the decision the last week of June of that year. What are the options that the Supreme Court will likely have before it in making a judgment? Well, the Supreme Court will have decisions from various of the lower courts. They'll take their time. They don't necessarily have to rule on accepting or denying a cert petition from the the first case that presents itself. So they'll see where the issues are more cleanly presented and which issues uh, they want to take up. It could just be that they want to look at the individual mandate. It could be that they're looking at uh, some of the Medicaid challenges that are being made by Florida and the 20 states uh, down there, saying that the new Medicare regulations are a coercive imposition by the federal government uh, on the states. Um, but ultimately, I think the individual mandate issue will go up that Congress doesn't have the power uh, under the Commerce Clause, the taxing power or anywhere else to require people to engage in economic activity. That's unprecedented. And I think that word appears all over our commentary on this issue. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it'll all probably come down to a matter of what uh, Anthony Kennedy had for breakfast uh, one of those days in June 2012. The last time the Supreme Court dealt with what was a straight-up Commerce Clause case that was Gonzalez v. Rage. Three justices dissented. They were Rehnquist, O'Connor, and Thomas. Two of them are no longer on the court. Well, they were replaced by Alito and Roberts, um, which I think would vote – who I think would vote the same way. Uh, Justice Scalia didn't dissent. He wrote a concurring opinion, his famous drug war exception to the Constitution opinion. He didn't join Stevens Breyer's uh, – sorry, uh, he didn't join um, uh, John Paul Stevens' um, kind of expansive understanding of Congress's uh, regulatory authority. He just said that if there's a national regulatory scheme in place, then regulating local activity might occasionally be uh, necessary under the necessary and proper clause to reach. Uh, but again, I don't think that anything that he's written, and if you look at uh, you know, we criticize him for various uh, non-originalist mistakes, but I don't think that he would go as far as accepting that uh, inactivity is activity, as the government is arguing in these cases. How sensitive are judicial uh, judgments to 
timelines for certain activity, if you know what I'm getting at. Right. Well, the individual mandate doesn't go into effect until 2014, which is why the court isn't likely to ex- accept an expedited appeal, say, if Ken Cuccinelli acts to or, or, or whatnot. Um, if there's other provisions that are enjoined by one of the lower courts uh, that are all already in effect or will be going in effect sooner, then we could see the Supreme Court intervening sooner than that, or at least staying the judgment pending longer review uh, or something like that. The basis for our briefing in the Virginia case uh, and what we're likely to be doing uh, going forward uh, is rather than obviously repeating the party's arguments, the challengers to Obamacare, we focus on the necessary and proper clause because the government's strongest argument is that, look, uh, the court has said uh, you're not contesting that the federal government has the power to regulate health insurance. Well, we've put in this comprehensive regulation, and to make it work, uh, we need to have the individual mandate because otherwise the requirement that insurers cover people with pre-existing conditions just doesn't work. The whole scheme falls apart, and therefore we're just uh, uh, using the necessary and proper clause. The individual mandate is necessary and proper to the exercise of our lawful commerce clause powers. And our response to that is, first of all, that the government is creating its own necessity. I mean, there are different ways that it could reform whatever health care problems it identifies. It doesn't have to have the uh, the insurer mandate followed by the individual mandate. Um, But even if it is necessary somehow, it's still not proper. Those are two different things. Uh, And because the Commerce Clause has never been used uh, to require people to engage in economic activity, uh, and the types of mandates that are in place are things like uh, registering for the draft, serving on juries, filing your income taxes. These are duties of citizenship uh, that are attached to very specific provisions of the Constitution. This is different. And what we know as Commerce Clause doctrine, the substantial effects test, local activity can be regulated if in the aggregate it has a substantial effect on interstate commerce. That's actually already discounted for the necessary and proper clause, as it were. So the government doesn't get, uh, you know, to add, NNP, NNP, NNP ad infinitum, uh, which is the point that we're stressing based on the um, uh, academic work of Randy Barnett. So we're doing this because it is necessary and proper to achieve something that we've also deemed to be necessary and proper going back to some connection to some part of the Constitution. That's right. And it's, and it's very attenuated. And if something like this goes through, not only uh, would Congress be able to require you to buy broccoli and join gyms and all these other analogies or buy a Chevy in the auto bailout context. Uh, but think about it. Uh, you know, Congress could determine that when people are happier, they're more productive workers. That has a substantial effect on interstate commerce. So they passed the Everybody Should Be Happy Act of 2011, and then whatever Congress deems increases people's happiness, they can then do. There is no uh, principled uh, limitation on federal power at that instant. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute and editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review. You can get your copy at Cato.org.